All right. Hey, let's dive in to God's word this morning. One thing we continually hear from Jesus and from God's word is that we are called to follow him, to follow Jesus, to be with him, to follow in his steps, to imitate him, to be obedient to him and to be sent out by him. And as a church, we've been walking through the, the, the gospel, the book of Mark, verse by verse, where we are seeing the life and the ministry of Jesus. We're seeing who Jesus is. We're seeing why he came and what he has already and what he will accomplish. And so as we continue to study the gospel of Jesus Christ and Mark, I just pray that we're listening to Jesus and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us this morning. So I just want to challenge you this morning Even if you've heard this passage before, just be attentive to what God is doing and have that posture of of humility and just that that posture of being able to learn from him this morning. This morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 9 beginning in verse 30. If you do not have a Bible, there's one at the end of your row and that is our gift to you if you need that. But we're going to be in Mark chapter 9 beginning in verse 30. So open up your Bibles or your devices to that passage. I remember... As I was growing up, I was always competing. Anybody else in here that's a competitor? You're always competing for something, right? I had a, I had a friend in the neighborhood that I would always compete with. We were always racing to see who was the fastest, and I was, right? We're playing any... any <laughs> I'm past, the, I'm past it, Ben. I'm, I'm past it. But, right, we would play, play games to see who is the best at those games. I remember always competing with my siblings um, with things at home. My older sister and I, uh, we had the task of the chore of doing the dishes. Anybody else? Did anybody love doing dishes in here? Okay, I think, I think we're all on the same page. All right, so I hated doing the dishes, but that was our chore. And so my older sister and I, we would find some ways to compete while we were doing the dishes. Who could get done with whatever they were doing faster? Uh, my cousin and I growing up, we got in food eating contest. Anybody ever do that where you just like see who can out eat the other person? By the way, 32 tacos is too much for any one person to eat. My belly would tell you that, right? We're always striving in our society to be first or to be best. Think about in the workplace. We call it cutthroat sometimes, don't we? We want to be the best. We want to move up. We want to accomplish more than those around us so that we can get that next promotion or get a bigger raise. In our world, it's not just me that wrestles with this, right? In our world, we are always striving to be great, to be noticed, to be first, And when we come to our text today, we're going to see that Jesus, that his disciples are striving to be the greatest. And I think it's important as we read through this story that that, that we see that Jesus recognizes their quest for greatness as a good thing. Now, when I start reading that, you're going to be like, what are you talking about? Jesus is going to correct that. But Jesus actually sees their pursuit of of, of greatness as a good thing. We don't see Jesus criticizing anyone for pursuing true greatness or true significance. I think that's because God created us to to do great things. Amen, church? Man, he he didn't create us to be a bump on the log, right? He created us to do great things. The problem that Jesus is going to see in his disciples' pursuit and even our pursuit of greatness is that it has been corrupted by sin. Satan does that, doesn't he? He takes what God has made to be good and he corrupts it with sin. And so we often place value on the wrong things or we have the wrong motives as we're doing things. We often let sin or pride get in the way. I'm sure I'm the only one that has that issue with sin and pride here, but in case you're with me on that, right, we let sin and pride get in the way. 
And so listen to these words. Our longing for true greatness is often corrupted by sin into a longing not to be great, but to be known as great. Let that sink in. We've, we've really changed the pursuit of greatness to, instead of being great, it's just we just want to be known as being great. It's been corrupted by sin into a longing not to be great, but to be greater than someone else. That was hard to swallow when I'm writing that out this past week. It's like, man, if, we're, if that's my pursuit, man, we, I just want to give that to Jesus and say, man, I, Jesus, I'm sorry for that because our goal is never to be greater than someone else. Our, our deal is what Jesus is going to tell us to, to do and have true greatness, and that would point people to Jesus. And I think here with Jesus, instead of destroying the pursuit of greatness, he's going to describe a way that our pursuit to be great, to be significant, can be transformed into something that is good and beautiful in the eyes of God. Jesus is going to example for them and teach them what true greatness is. He's going to show them, here is what true greatness is, and here is what you should be pursuing. Here is how you do it. Here is, here is what will have true significance in your life, and not only in your life, but true significance in a way that makes a difference in our world. True significance that makes a, a difference in the kingdom of God, in a way that truly honors God. So would you guys join me this morning in Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 30. And just so you know, we normally stand and read through the entire text just for time's sake. We're going to go through it piece by piece today, but we're going to cover all of it this morning. Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 30. Let's pray before we do that this morning. God, we love you, and we ask you, God, to speak, speak to us, move us, help us walk out of here different and more like you than whenever we came in. That's what sanctification is, God, that, that you have saved us and you have called us to be more like you, to imitate you. And so, Father, we have a great chance today to walk out of here hearing your words to become more like you. And so, God, we give you our time today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 30. For they were, from there they went out and began to go through Galilee. So they had been doing, from our text last week, they had left where they were at, and they're going through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know about it. That means Jesus, for he was teaching his disciples. And so what's happening is Jesus normally has a large crowd, sometimes smaller, sometimes hundreds, sometimes thousands of people following him. But he's getting a position right now where he doesn't want anybody to follow him so he can teach his disciples. And telling them, the Son of Man, which is Jesus, he's fully God, fully man, but he will call himself throughout Mark the Son of Man. And Jesus is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. But they did not understand the statement, and they were afraid to ask him. Jesus is wanting to have some teaching time, some alone time with these 12 men. Do you guys ever have those moments? I had one last night where Jesus just says to you, man, I just need you. I need your attention. I need you just to be with me. I need you to hear from me. And so he's got his 12 disciples, and while they are all alone, Jesus begins to tell them about his upcoming death and resurrection. Levi, can you do me a favor? Can you grab my water for me, bro? Sorry about that. He's about to tell them about his upcoming death and resurrection. Back in chapter 8, Jesus tells his disciples that, that he must be betrayed. And that was a big deal for them because Peter had just confessed, you are the Christ, right? You are the, you're the Messiah, you're the Savior. And, and Messiahs and Saviors don't die. But Jesus tells them at that point, I must die, I must suffer, I must be rejected, I must die, and I must rise again. 
And so he, back in chapter 8, he tells them that. So this is the second time he basically tells them that this is going to happen. And now he's telling them that he is to be delivered into the hands of men. And they will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. So the first time Jesus is saying, it must happen. And this time he is telling them a little more about how it will happen. And when we read that text, you can have the, the, the language of delivered, but that word actually is translated to mean betrayed. He's being betrayed. Jesus is telling them that this must happen. I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to die, and I'm, I'm going to rise again. But all that's going to happen by me being betrayed and handing into the hands of, handing, delivered into the hands of men that will eventually crucify me. Jesus is telling them that. And we know that Jesus was betrayed by one of his own disciples. Can you know the name? Judas. Yeah, there we go. All right. Class participation. We're good. All right. So, so Judas. And so we see that, that the disciples, they don't quite understand what Jesus is saying to them. And so they're, I think they're tired of getting corrected by Jesus. So they kind of keep quiet a little bit. Right. They were afraid to ask. But I, wanna, I just want to pause and I don't want us to miss this. Jesus didn't come and live a perfect life and then just somehow was killed on the cross. He came and lived a, a perfect life and did what he did all because that was part of the plan. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't like Jesus is out there being this really cool godly guy and then all of a sudden somebody decides they're going to betray him. right? And I think that's important for Jesus to be able to say this. It must happen and here's how it's going to happen. And then he tells them again in the next chapter, in chapter 10. So it's important that we understand that it didn't just accidentally happen. This was the plan. Church, Jesus came for you. Jesus came for me. He came for your best friend and he came for your enemy. Jesus came because, as we see in John 3, 16, because he so loved you. He loved us collectively, but he loved us personally because he so loved you. And back in our, um, anyway, so, 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 so he knew what he was, he was doing. He knew the cost, and he did it anyways. I think that's just huge significance. We say this a lot in our church. God proved his love. He demonstrated his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ, Christ died for us. He intentionally gave his life and rose again. He made a way for your sins to be forgiven, for you to be made new, for you to be adopted into the family of God because he so loved you. You know, we're in the the month right now, the national month of adoption. Anybody know that? It's the national month of adoption. And what, what better adoption than to be adopted into the family of God? Amen, church? So back in our text, Jesus shares this with him that I'm, this is going to happen, I'm going to be betrayed, and they keep quiet because they still didn't completely understand. And then as they're traveling, after Jesus shared this with them, we come to verse 33. They're still walking, and they're having this conversation that Jesus wasn't a part of, but he knows what's happening. So they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, this might be Peter's house, but it's one that they're doing ministry out of, he began to question them. Jesus says to them, what were you discussing on the way, verse 34, but they kept silent. Why? For on the way they had discussed with one another which of them was the greatest. Jesus shows himself to be the all-knowing God that he is. He, he knows what they were talking about, right? And so he begins to question them and really engage with them and take their conversation, what they're not even going to tell him, and he's going to teach them. And we see that they're keeping silent, probably convicted, a little bit of embarrassment, right? And so they keep silent because they were debating amongst themselves who was the greatest. 
And I love what Jesus does here. Jesus doesn't beat them up. Sometimes we don't take things to God because we're afraid he's going to beat us up. Are you with me? Sometimes we're like, God, I know you, I know you know about that, but I'm not going to tell you about that because then you might want to do something about that in me, right? But Jesus is loving, right? He doesn't beat them up over it. He takes this opportunity to, to teach them. He takes the, the, the opportunity and their pursuit of greatness and he's going to teach them what true greatness is. I would assume that these disciples are a lot like us and they probably are arguing over things that didn't matter. Maybe I'm the only one like that, right? I'm not getting any amens, right? Sometimes we do that, right? Things that don't have any eternal value, but we argue about those things. They're probably along that line. Who is the best disciple, right? Who has the greatest impact with Jesus right now? And so, and just like we see in our world today, in their culture, it's, it's important to understand it's in our culture and it's in theirs. In their culture, rank and recognition were important, right? Rank and recognition were important. But Jesus, in his grace and tenderness, gives a response that we too need to hear just like they did. And he's not going to deny greatness. Jesus doesn't say, throw that idea of greatness out the door. He's going to redefine it. Actually, he's going to bring them back to the original meaning of true greatness is really what's happening. He's going to help them understand that what the world has told them is greatness doesn't line up with what God says. And so in verse 35, sitting down and just 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 look at this, man, he just he sits down with them, right? Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Time out, Jesus. This is America, right? Right? I'm not going to be last to anybody, right? I don't want to. I don't want to be forced to serve anyone. He's, but, but that's that's what he says. He says he shall be last of all and servant of all. He's showing them this is what true greatness is. He says you want to be the greatest, right? You want to be first, then be last. Be a servant of all. The word servant here is it used is the word diakonos. Right? This word is, is, isn't the, the word to describe an employee or a slave or anything like that. Right? It's describing someone that serves willingly. Right? It serves willingly. The word servant describes a person that is a waiter of tables. They're willingly bringing to you what you need. It's a person that is willing to wash another's feet. Today and these days, I don't want to... Actually, I like my wife to touch my feet, but nobody else is touching my feet. Right? And so... Back in their day, I don't know, that was probably too much information, right? I don't know. Andrew, I'm, I, I'm, I don't know, man. So let's just let's take that back, right? So, but anyways, think about their feet. They're wearing sandals, and they don't even have socks, right? Nothing, man. So, so that, their feet are dirty. And the, this, is, this is someone that would come along and wash a person's feet willingly. It's a person that looks at, hear this church, it's a person that sees other people and sees their needs and puts what they want aside and takes care of that need. That's that word. They serve. Jesus is saying this is the position and posture that you should be pursuing to be last and to willingly serve all. That word all is going to be important as we continue on. The world says that power and prominence and popularity equals greatness. 
But Jesus is flipping that ideal upside down and says that greatness is found in serving and not being served. That's a little counterculture, isn't it? Right? Greatness, Jesus says, we can trust Jesus, amen? Right? Greatness is found in serving and not being served. What a thought. What would our world look like today Instead of fighting for a position where others are going to serve us, we began to fight for a position to serve one another and to put others before us. I would dare say, church, that our world might look a little different. I'm going to make it a little more personal. I would dare say that our churches might look a little different today if we truly understood and lived that out, that greatness is found in serving and not being served. Amen, Pastor Jeff. That's a good word. There we go. Okay. All right. Churches, we got to get that. Church, we, we got to understand that. So he's teaching them, pursue greatness by putting others before yourself and be willing to serve others. True greatness, church, is not finding a way for others to praise us. I'm guilty of that. True greatness is putting yourself in a position to serve everyone. Putting yourself in a position to be with the people, to be a blessing to as many people as we possibly can. I was having a conversation with my neighbor the other day, and my neighbor, they, they lost someone recently here in Tucson to a shooting a couple weeks ago. And I told him, I said, ma'am, I'm here, I would pray with you, this doesn't know the Lord, I would pray with you and I love on you. I said, our houses get closer and closer together, but yet we know our neighbors less and less, don't we? We go in our homes and we shut our doors, we're not in the, we're not in the community to see the needs. We're not in the community to see their needs. To be a blessing to as many people as we possibly can. And Jesus doesn't stop. He continues to build on this idea. He wants them to see what this really looks like. And so Jesus gives them an illustration. I'm going to see how this works too. I'm going to give you an illustration. We'll see if it works. Verse 36. Taking a child, he sets him before them. So he takes this child. That would be an infant or a toddler is that language here. And taking him in his arms, so Jesus now sets him before them, but then he picks him up and he says to them, he says to his disciples, whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. And whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me. So Jesus finds a child, an infant or a toddler, right? And he sets them in their midst and he picks up the child in his arms. So I'm going to steal a baby here real quick. Everybody say, aw. All right. Oh, baby. All right. I love babies. Anybody love babies? I used to ask my little sister. I, there's a picture of me holding her out, like, as far away from me as possible as I'm holding her. I still try to do that. Just stay. No, I'm just kidding. But I love babies. I love Anybody, You guys love babies? Hi, sweetheart. This is, this is little Addie. So he picks up. He takes the baby, and he puts them out. I love this. I'm getting more attention than I ever had before. This is great. You're doing a good job. And so, so why does he do this? Why, 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 what does this action have to do with the teaching of true greatness? Remember, Jesus told him in verse 35, he says, to be a servant of all. To be a servant of all. Right? He's telling them that this little child right here is part of all. Right? Addie's part of all. Now, for this to really make sense why he's holding a baby, we have to understand that their culture... Right? We have to understand their culture and have to understand some of the problems in that day. First is this. Men didn't hold babies back then. There's a reason for that. Men didn't really hold babies at all. But, but here Jesus is, is holding 
the, the baby. Can I, I'm going to set you down. You did a good job. Give her a hand, like quietly, okay? So, yeah, golf clap. There we go. There you go, baby. All right. I just wanted to hold the baby. So, all right. Where are we at? All right. So men didn't hold babies because a, a child of that age really had no value at all in that day. I mean, think about that. A child would have been an excellent example of the last or the least in society. In our culture today, we place a high value on children, don't we? Right? I remember Jax, our firstborn, before he was born, we went out and bought him way too much stuff. We did. We did. And, and with, there's pictures of us painting his room. He got a new crib. He got more expensive clothes than I ever had. Right? He got new diapers and toys and bottles and all of this stuff. He had a lot of stuff. Are you with me? Because we placed a high value on him. We got the best car seat. We got the best stroller. Are you with me, church? There's a high value, and, and, and that's a good thing in our culture. If we've done one thing good from, from then until now, that is a good thing. But in their day, they wouldn't have done any of that. Because unfortunately, many children didn't live very long. And I don't know the exact statistics, but it is somewhere around 50% of children in that age did not make it to the age of 10. Just let that settle with you for a second. So there was no way that a man, especially a man in that culture, was going to invest in a child or place any value on a child that may not be around. And then with them being in that culture like ours where power and honor and status mattered, children had none of those things. They were at the bottom of the social ladder. A child had no power, had no status, had very little value and very few rights. And so Jesus, after he says, be last and be a servant to all, he grabs this baby and says, serve even the least. Serve even those with no power or status. Serve even those with little cultural value and little rights. And think about this, agriculture was a big deal. And even if this child made it to the age of 10, right now the infant can do nothing to help out. They couldn't work the land, they couldn't farm, they couldn't milk, they couldn't do anything. And guess what? Even if you do, even if you do serve this child, give this baby attention and love, this baby can do nothing to pay you back. Let that sink in just for a second. They lay there. They cry, they need to be fed, they require a lot of attention, and they can't pay you back. They can't even tell you thank you. In their society and in ours today, we often, hear me, hear me out church, we often choose to serve people and help those people that can pay us back. I scratch your back, you scratch mine type mentality. We often choose to serve or help those that can help promote us. We see that a lot in our world today. Like you see someone wanting to be elected to office, they go and hold babies, don't they? They show that they're going to serve food or they're going to do this or that. Man, how can we be promoted by serving someone? But Jesus holds this little child and he's showing them, if you want to be great, take those that are considered low and insignificant and serve them. Put aside your interest for the interests of others. No matter how society looks at them. Even if they can't help you move up the ladder. No matter if they can pay you back or not. Even if they're unable to even tell you thank you. Be great by being last and serving all. 
And Jesus continues to teach. He said to them in verse 37, whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. And whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me. Pay attention to what Jesus says in verse 37. Whoever receives this child in my name. So Jesus first says true greatness is not about being first, but being last. He says it's not about being served, but serving others, serving all. And then he shows them that even the lowest of the low serve them, put them before you. The little baby that might not make it. The little baby that has no cultural value or power or any significance, serve them, take care of them, serve even the least. And then Jesus says, and then if you receive this child, do it in my name. Do it in my name. Jesus is going to go even deeper. To be great is to be last and to serve all, even a little child. But don't do it. Don't serve them for your gain. Don't do it to just gain attention. Don't do it so that others will look at you and say, way to go. Social media has kind of ruined that for us, hasn't it, man? It's, even if it's part of our life, we're out there serving, and all of a sudden we're getting, hey, way to go. You guys are the best, right? Church, true greatness, Jesus is saying, is serving, but not so that others will look at us, but so that the people will look to Jesus Christ. You guys ever have a coach as you were playing for any sports team and the coach would talk to the players and the coach would often say, when you play, you aren't playing for the name on the back of the jersey. You're playing for the name on the front of the jersey. Anybody ever hear that? Right? It's about the team. And so here the goal is not about us. It's about Jesus. It's about the kingdom of God. The goal isn't to bring glory to yourself. The goal here is to bring glory to Jesus. And he says, whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me, right? And whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me, right? Here's what he's teaching them. When I call you to be a servant of all, including children, including the last in society, I'm not calling you to some heroic self-sacrifice. I'm calling you to stop chasing man's praise and start pursuing God. I'm calling you to stop chasing man's praise and start pursuing God. Stop trying to receive praise in the service of men and start receiving God. Dr. Danny Aiken says this, says that Jesus is saying this. He narrates it this way. Treat well those who have no standing in this world and you will receive an audience with my father. Our goal, true greatness, is to be last and to serve all. And true greatness is doing so in the name of Jesus Christ. Not in the name of Jeff. Or whatever your name is. Not in the name of really even authentic life, church. But in the name of Jesus Christ. To point others to Jesus and true greatness is all about God. Do we want the praise of men and women or do we want God? And Jesus finishes up his teaching on the subject, and then John speaks up. At least it's not Peter sticking his foot in his mouth this time, right? It's it's good old John. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him, but he was not following, because he was not following us. John was listening. He hears Jesus talk about doing things in his name, and he jumps in and says, Hey, Jesus! We were out, and we were out and about the other day, and, and, and we saw this guy casting out demons. But Jesus, he's not part of our team. Like he's never hung out with us before. He's not part of our group. But he was doing this in your name, Jesus. And we tried to stop him. We tried to, we tried to set him straight. And Jesus says this. But Jesus says in verse 39, Do not hinder him. 
For there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is for us. Jesus is saying, "Don't, don't stop him. And he tells them that whoever is not against us, they are for us. And really at the same time, this is really important for us to hear. Sometimes we live in a world, there's a middle ground. There's a lot of gray. Are you with me, church? There's a lot of gray. And Jesus is really making a statement here saying that either a person is either on team Jesus or they're not. And that's not a popular thing to say today. Because wait a minute, wait a minute. You pick Jesus, but I want this other. No, no, no. You either on team Jesus or you are not. In fact, he actually says it this, you're either on team Jesus or you're against him. That's, that, that's tough, right? And then he says this, for whoever gives you a cup of water, just a small little act of serving to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. While John was worried about a possible competitor in the kingdom, Jesus shifts and he's saying, I see and reward the smallest and humblest of acts of service done to others in my name. Jesus was getting glorified at that moment. Church, the message that we're talking about today is completely counterculture. I get that. Unfortunately, it's even counterculture in a lot of our churches and in our own lives. It's a passage, a word from Jesus, where he flips upside down the idea of greatness. We have our ideal of it, and Jesus says, let's try this one. He says, the world around you pushed you to be greatest in the ways to promote you and promote the dollar and to promote your name. We're often tempted, church, to pursue worldly greatness at whatever the cost. Pastor Jamie and I were at a conference, uh, March, I think, and they had a little a pastor's conference, and, and we, we had this deal where we went out to this pit to burn something. And it said, what do you want to sacrifice? What do you, what do you just want to give over to Jesus? And I wrote down on the card, stop making much of Jeff and make much of Jesus. Amen, church? And we need to hear that. Let's, let's, let's not promote Jeff. Let's not pro- promote Doug or Josh or, or Emily. Or let's, uh, let's promote Jesus. Jesus says the path to greatness is down, not up. Are you with me? It's down, not up. It's to be last and not first. My son gets really excited. He said, Daddy, I get to be the line leader today. But you know how he earned line leader? Because he was kind to people. That's how the teacher does it. He's kind to people. He put others before him and they let them. Are you with me, church? It's a great example. It's to be last, not to first. It's to serve all, not to be served by all. Pursuing a promotion, pursuing a raise, working hard to make a team. Church, I want want you guys to hear me. Jesus isn't suggesting that any of that is bad, not one bit, right? We've got people in here, like in the military, you you go after that next rank. Are you with me? Or you're in in the business world and you go after that next position. Are you you, you with me, church? Jesus isn't suggesting that any of that is bad, Not, not one bit. Those things, those pursuits, Jesus isn't attacking hard work. Jesus isn't attacking promotions or working hard to win the game. He's not going against that at all. Pursuing greatness is not bad. Are you guys with me, church? We're not attacking that at all today. But we can ask ourselves, are we doing those things? First of all, are we recognizing that God allows us to be in those positions? Amen? Are we recognizing that it's because of Him that we are where we are? And then we need to ask ourselves, are we doing those things to bring honor and glory to God and not to us? Are we doing it for the name on the front of our jersey as followers of Christ and not our individual name on the back? Are we doing those things to bring honor and glory to God? Are we doing them in the name of Jesus? 1 Corinthians, Paul says in 10.31 that whatever you do, 
What about that? Whatever you do. I don't care if you're combing your hair or tying your shoe. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. We're to make much of Jesus, church. We say that a lot. Come to Authentic Life and, and join us as we make much of Jesus, right? To glorify God. And church, Jesus is taking that sin, the, the sin that has tried to infiltrate what true greatness is. Sin uh, corrupts by taking that longing to be great, a God-given longing, and changing it to longing to be known as great. Sin corrupts by taking that longing to be truly great and changing the motive to just be greater than someone else. And Jesus says, put others before you, serve all, even those that don't deserve it, even those that can never pay you back, even those that won't help you get ahead in life. Serve the vulnerable and the needy. See the rich and the poor as Jesus does, right? And serve all. Before we close... I want to take us back to the opening words by Jesus, back to verse 31. Are they up there? Will you guys read that with me? This is cool when we get to this. Let's read this together. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, the Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. The people in that day, they were expecting and waiting for a Messiah, a Savior that would come. One that would come and become their king or become their political or military ruler. One that would rise up and rescue them from oppression. One that, one that, one that, would, uh, that would save them from the oppression from the Romans that they were, they were facing. But Jesus, the true Messiah, the Christ, right? The promised Messiah, he came to, to suffer. Kings don't do that. What do you mean he came to suffer? He came to be rejected. He came to be betrayed and to be delivered into the hands of men. He came to die and he came to rise again. Right? The greatest of all. Let's get excited about that. The greatest of all came to be a servant of all. The greatest of all saw the need. He saw mankind's condition. He saw your life. Even areas you didn't want him to see. And he came to serve you. It doesn't matter how smart a person is or how much money you have. It doesn't matter how high or low you are on the social ladder. They all have the exact same need. I've got the same need as someone way richer and way poorer than me. Are you with me, church? Man, he came because we all have the same need. And we all need a Savior. A Savior that is able to take the sins of the world. Take their sins and your sins and my sins and everybody else in this world. And carry those sins to the cross and take our place. If we don't get this in our mind that, that, we, that Jesus came and died in my place, we're missing the gospel are you with me man this was personal and jesus came to serve us and to give us the example of what true greatness is listen to what we read in philippians chapter 2 beginning in verse 3 do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit but in humility check this out it's like they were listening to jesus consider others as more important than yourself Everyone should, should look out not only for his own interest. God doesn't want us to not look after our interests. Are you with me? He wants us to take care of ourselves, but also for the interest of others. And listen to this. Adopt the same attitude as that of Jesus Christ. Here's the thing, church. He calls us to follow him. He calls us to be with him, and then he wants going to send us out, right? And so as we do that, we learn from him. We're a student, and it says adopt the same attitude that, Je- that Christ Jesus has, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he, listen to this, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a, of a servant, 
taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself be, by, being, uh, by becoming obedient to the point of death. And then he even says, even to death on the cross. Why did he make that, make that known? Because the death on the cross was the most brutal, humiliating death a person could do. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a Savior and what an example, church. Jesus, the one who had it all, he said, I'm going to set it aside to come down. I'm going to take on the form of a, of a servant willingly as a man. I'm going to empty myself for you and for me and all of humanity. He's going to humble himself even to the point of death, not just death, but the most humiliating death possible on the cross. And this Jesus that we get to serve and call Lord, he calls us to follow him and to be with him. And one day, whether a person here's you got to hear me out on this. Remember, he says you're either on team Jesus or you are against him. Are you with me? Whether a person gives their life to Jesus or not, one day, whether they like it or not, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen, church. To the glory of God the Father, this is our loving Savior and this is our example. And when I think about Authentic Life Church, I think about what Jesus is asking of us here. I think about our kids' life workers. Somebody is over there changing a dirty diaper this morning so that we could worship. People that watch over and teach and care for our precious kiddos and babies. And by the way, those that, those, as they get older, we are teaching them the gospel This isn't just daycare. Man, they are hearing the word of God. I think about those that take their time to help foster families and adoptive families and other families in need. I think about individuals that take the time to see the needs in the community, like someone that we have that that saw a need for blankets and jackets, and they said, you know what, I'm going to make that happen. I think about those that work behind the scenes to make Sunday mornings happen. This didn't happen. You know, just, just, it didn't just pop up, right? This happened because people were willing to serve. I think about a church that has a heart to put others first and to be willing servant to all. Church, that is true greatness. That means, that's, that's what it means to be great in the kingdom of God. We can have greatness in our world which will all vanish or we can be great in the kingdom of God. And church, we're about to take some time off this week. We're about to gather as family and friends for Thanksgiving. Remember, everything we have is because of God. Everything we get to enjoy is because He loves us and He provides that for us. And as we think about the words of Jesus that He willingly came to suffer and be rejected and be betrayed and killed on a cross, as we think about that this week, let us stop and give praise and thanks to Jesus. Parents, let your kids see you give praise and thanks to Jesus. Amen, church? Are you with me? Man, you pull them off aside and you just say, man, we have this because God is good. Let them hear you pray. Pray over your kids. and, and tell, Are you with me, church? Let them see you live that out. Because while we had nothing to offer him, he gave everything for us. We have nothing. But God, I can sing. I can preach. I can dance. Well, my wife doesn't think so. Like, I can play an instrument. I'm smart. I've got this much money. i got this size of house. i got this car. I can give it to you, God. God says, it's nothing. You have nothing that you can give to me, but I'm still going to give everything for you. I'm going to ask us to do something this morning. I'm going to ask us to pray this morning. Whether it's in your chair, whether it's up front, it doesn't matter to me. Let's pray this morning and thank God for his pursuit of us. I heard someone preach this this weekend. I was at at the conference just talking about the sovereignty and the love and the pursuit of God. And he was talking about 
you know, sometimes we have this picture that we're like paddling real hard in the, in the, in the water, right? That we're paddling real hard and somehow we kind of reached up to Jesus. No, we were dead at the bottom of the sea and he came down and he rescued us. We're thankful for his pursuit of us, thankful that Jesus came to rescue us, thankful that, that Jesus was worried. He wasn't worried about his freedom and his riches, but he was worried about our, our, our loss and where we were headed. He was worried about giving us salvation and forgiveness and a new life in him and an eternal home with him and Jesus if we believe in him and ask him to save us. Jesus says very clearly, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So let's take some time this morning to thank Jesus for, for, for doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. And ask him this morning in, in prayer to help us as individuals, as families, and as a church as we follow his example. Church, we want to pursue greatness. We want to put others before us. We want to serve all. And doing all not for the glory and fame and attention of you or for me or even our church, but doing it in the name of Jesus so that people will come to know Jesus and give glory to God. And after I say this last thing, church, I just want us to pray and really just give that to God as we have that heart of thanksgiving this morning. But if you're here today and during this time of prayer, if you've not given your life to Jesus, the Bible says Jesus says repent and believe in the gospel. Right? Believe that I am Lord, right, and that I was raised from the dead and you will be saved. If you've not repented of your sins and asked Jesus to save you and be your Savior, I will be up here as others are praying and we can have others come up if need be. But, but we, want to, we want to show you in God's word what it means to know Christ as your Savior, to be saved. So take this time if you want to come forward, if you want to pray in your seats. But church, let's deal before God with that humble heart and a heart of humility and say, God, thank you and now teach me. Go ahead and take your time to pray.